Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11 tonight. Luke chapter number 11. Glad you're here. It's a good crowd for a Monday night. And um, no better place to be than in church. Uh, Ain't nothing worth watching on TV, that's for sure. And... um, So I'm glad you're here. Luke chapter number 11. I mentioned we're going to move into the realm of prayer. And I'd like us to be able to look at this. And and I would say that I'm just on a pilgrimage concerning prayer. And things that the Lord is helping me understand, I wish I would have grasp a lot earlier, and I could have, I think. I think if I would have lived in the arena of what we preached last night, being surrendered, willing to do anything, obedient to God in everything, burning the plows, killing the cows, living that way on a regular daily basis, and being serious about the things of God, it would have driven me into this realm of the simplicity of praying. And uh, I I believe one of the reasons that we struggle with praying is because that's part of the devil's work to keep us from experiencing the power and the quality of life that God has for us. And in these messages, I I in no wise want you to experience guilt. I've, I've heard many a message on prayer and other subjects similar to that where we will never be at the place where we've arrived. Just like if you preach a message on loving God, none of us love God as much as he deserves or as much as we ought. But that's not the intention. I don't want anybody to feel guilty about it. I want you to experience liberation in this area, maybe taking a step, just a a step in this area. And so probably for these next three nights will be an emphasis on this matter of praying. And I, I can recall several times, several places in, in my journey and even in ministry where I knew that I needed to and I would read about those who did, but somehow I couldn't. And, um, but the Lord's been gracious and the Lord has been helpful. And then not just for myself personally, but for my family and then our church family to see that reviving take place and people who didn't go to Bible college, people who didn't have as much understanding of theology as I would have, but see them enter into the presence of God and get answers to prayer on a regular basis, I realized they have something that I didn't have. But God's been good and gracious and faithful to help bring me into that understanding. And a lot of it was battling my own unbelief and battling that which the devil was trying to discourage me with. And so I I want to say at the outset of this, I want us to have uh, clarity in this that I don't want you to feel discouraged or just be guilt-ridden. Obviously, if God convicts us, um, that ought to be God's conviction, and he wants us to deal with it, but he doesn't want us to wallow in guilt and give up. The difference between the Spirit of God convicting you and the devil convicting is when the devil convicts, you just feel like there's no hope. And when the Spirit of God convicts, it's to bring you to himself. He's the answer. He's the hope. Listen to this. R.A. Torrey said, Prayer can do anything that God can do. Prayer can do anything that God can do. As God can do anything, prayer is omnipotent. Prayer can do anything that God can do. 
No wonder the devil is going to deceive us, discourage us, and defeat us in this area. Because he knows that prayer can do anything that God can do. Dr. Curtis Hudson said this, The possibilities of prayer exceeds your ability to ask. The possibilities of prayer exceed your ability to ask. In other words, you'll never exhaust all the possibilities in prayer. Why? Because prayer can do anything that God can do. Missionaries Jonathan Roslin Goforth arrived in China in the late 1800s. Their assignment was to open up a, a new field in the northern section of Honan province, and it was a challenging assignment. And many obstacles were in their path. They were a young couple. They struggled to learn the language. They were struggling with adjusting to the climate. They were trying to raise a large family in less than desirable surroundings. And they were met with many discouraging challenges, including losing a child to death. One day, a letter arrived in the mail from Hudson Taylor, who was also a pioneer with the China Inland Mission. He wrote, We understand northern Honan is to be your field. We as a mission have tried for 10 years to enter that province from the south and have only just succeeded. It is one of the most anti-foreign provinces in China. Brother, if you would enter that province, you must go forward on your knees. The go-forths took Taylor's advice, and prayer became one of their strongest tools. With persistence and prayer, they mastered the language. People began responding to their message of a loving Christ, and a female convert filled the go-forths' need of an assistant Bible teacher for women, and God began to prosper that ministry in a place where it was looked at as practically humanly impossible. Why? Because prayer can do anything that God can do. We need to embrace this year. We're at the beginning of this 2022. And, and we ought to embrace, every one of us ought to embrace the fact we can take advantage of a new start. That's what new vision from the church and this new, and we just kind of go along with the newness of things. And why not embrace this new start when it comes to prayer? You say, I've never been able to, to really get into it. Well, it, it's a new start. And embrace this opportunity. And in fact, if you establish a prayer routine, you will find that your life will be anything but routine. Prayer can do anything that God can do. You're, sometimes people get bored and you're wanting to seek new opportunities. You don't need to seek a, an opportunity. All you have to do is seek God. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And if you seek God, God will make sure opportunity seeks you. You've heard the phrase, we'll see if you can finish it. Who you know is more important than what you know. I want to say that's true. It's certainly true for the child of God. Who you know, your heavenly father, is far more important than what you know. Don't worry about meeting the right people. If you meet with God, God will make sure that you meet the right people at the right time. After all, is there anybody that my God, your father doesn't know? No, he knows how to make the connections that you've been in anxiety about. You know, there's one degree of separation between you and any opportunity and the person that you need to come into contact with. One degree of separation, it's you and God. Seek God. And if God can change the heart of Pharaoh, he can help you find favor with anybody and everybody. Let God do your promoting. Let God do your networking. Let God do your planning. Let God do your strategizing. That doesn't mean that you don't have to put some, um, some thought into it. That's the whole point of prayer. We're coming into the presence of God. God has an opinion about your job. 
God has an opinion about your home. God has an opinion about everything. And it's our responsibility to get into his presence and find out what is it that God is up to. What is it that God is thinking about? I'm certainly not suggesting you don't apply for promotion or, or give out a business card or a resume. But I am suggesting what Jesus suggested. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You've got to do God's will, God's way. Remember when Moses got impatient, he took matters into his own hands, and he killed an Egyptian taskmaster? You remember that? You remember that? If not, I have to go have you turn over there. We've got to read that. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, he thought he was going to help God expedite God's plan. In reality, do you know what Moses did when he tried to help out God? He spent 40 years. Well, that was a real hurry-up operation, wasn't it? He thought he would bring relief, but instead he made the burden on the Israelites almost unbearable. What I'm saying is, why don't you try looking at the truth that prayer can do anything that God can do instead of helping God out, why don't you seek God and seek His will for your life? That's what happens when we try to do God's job for Him. It becomes unbearable. When we try to make things go faster, we tend to end up making them go slower. When we try to make things easier, they tend to become harder. Don't try, listen, don't try to manufacture your own miracles. God's been doing it for a long time. He, he knows how to do it. Don't try to answer your own prayers. God can do that. Don't try to do God's job for him. Stay humble. Stay patient. Stay focused. By the way, that's what church is about. One of the many benefits of the church. It helps us recognize normal Christianity and keeps us in our place, keeps us in our lane, and such as trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding, in all thy ways acknowledge him. And, and by the way, God, God will take care of his part. You with me? It's too soon for you to start praying. Don't pray yet. I'll tell you when it's time to pray. Open your eyes. Look, I'll chuck a hymnal at you if I have to. If I put you to sleep, it's only fair that I wake you up. Stay with me, all right? We're just in the intro. <laughs> I agree with Matthew Henry who said, Prayer is the key of the morning and the bolt of the evening. Listen to this. Bold prayers. I, I've been saying this to our church, and it's neat to be able to see as I just keep saying it. You do the same thing here. You hear your pastor say things and say things and say things, and the reason why we, re, we repeat certain things is because it's worth repeating. But we've said so many times that, uh, to the church, bold prayers honor God. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers i mean how many bold prayers are we praying like parting a red sea feeding a five thousand plus with just you know you got five hush puppies and two sardines you know miracle how are we going to do this but i, I want to tell you where i've lived for a long time i prayed and i'd take up some time praying but they were so general. And here's what I began to realize. They were so general that if God answered them, I wouldn't know if he answered them. I mean, saying things like this, God, would you bless our church family today? So if we were to ask you at the end of the day, did he bless the church family today? Oh, uh, well, I don't think he killed anybody. I guess he did. <laughs> Why don't we start getting close to God and start figuring out the way God operates and thinks. And I'm saying when God is your, well, D.L. Moody's the one who said this. He wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible shortly before he died, if God be your partner, make your plans larger. Why? Because prayer can do anything that God can do. I tell you what's encouraged me, one of the things that's encouraged me about prayer is to see the simple folk. Who are they? Uh, that, that's, that's us. 
or see people again who, who don't have degrees, who didn't go to Bible college. Um, they can't put, put a couple sentences together without butchering the English, and, and, and yet I've seen them get into the presence of God. I'm telling you, they get a hold of God, and God's got a hold of them. When, whenever I, and here's how I began to figure out, these are the people that I want in leadership. I began to think about who are the ones that I would go to if I said, I need you to get a hold of God right now. And I began to think through that. And I thought, I've got the wrong people in leadership. We've got the wrong deacons. We've got the wrong teachers. Because everybody who gets a hold of God and God has a hold of, they're the ones that are sitting out there watching and looking at others who really don't know what it's like to pray bold prayers. And I don't even know if they're praying. I want to tell you, when you get close to God and you figure out that you can pray bold prayers because bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers, you're going to be excited when there's a prayer meeting called. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams and your boldest prayers. I think he's offended by anything less. I really do. The God who can do the impossible and you ask him to do something that you could do. If your prayers are not impossible to you, I believe they're insulting God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea in your life or make the sun stand still or float an iron axe head and God is moved to omnipotent action. There's nothing God loves more than keeping promises, answering prayers, performing miracles, fulfilling dreams. And that's who He is. That's what my God does. And the bigger the prayer, the better because God gets more glory. The greatest moments in life are those miraculous moments when human impotence and divine omnipotence, they intersect. And they intersect when we come to the realization that prayer can do anything that God can do. I promise you this. God is ready and waiting for you to join the journey with Him in this pilgrimage of prayer. And it's absolutely imperative at the outset that you come to terms with this simple yet life-changing truth. God is for you. God is for you. He's, this is not a graduate-level course prayer. This is kindergarten-level Christianity. God is for you. If you don't believe that, you will pray small and timid prayers. But if you believe that God is for you, then you're going to pray big, audacious prayers. And one way or another, your small, timid prayers or your big, audacious prayers, it will change the trajectory of your life. Your prayer life determines the trajectory of your life. You tell me how you're praying, what you're praying, and I can tell you what the remainder of your life is going to look like with God. You know, our prayers are prophecies. They're the best predictors of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. And ultimately, the transcript of your prayers become the script of your life. So how would God have you and I go forward in February of 2022? On your knees. On your knees. In Luke, Luke chapter number 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples about prayer, and he did so more than once. In Luke 11, you, you, uh, if you and I had been a constant companion of Jesus for three years and had seen the things that Jesus did and heard the things that Jesus said, I would say we'd probably request the same thing as did the disciples. Lord, teach us to do miracles. That's not what they asked. Lord, teach us to make money. 
Lord, teach us to preach. That's not what they asked. Lord, teach us how to win souls. That's not what they asked. They asked something else that impacts all of those others. You have it there in Luke 11. Let's stand together, please, and we'll read this. Luke 11, have you stand? It'll help some of you wake back up there in verse number 1. As we give reverence to the Word of God, verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying, in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Tonight, I just want to talk to you and give you four things right here about this matter of prayer that I hope will encourage us. And, and we'll continue this tomorrow night, Lord willing, and finish up on Wednesday night. But in this passage here, four helpful facts from these 13 verses that are given, but we're just going to focus on the first few, and I hope that we'll find it help and encouragement to at least get in on the fact that we start getting serious about this matter of prayer, serious about what God can do. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And let's look at it here this evening. Thank you. Please be seated. Number one, I would say this. If we're going to begin to pray some bold prayers, big prayers, it's not something on a whim. It's not just an itch we have. But number one, we need to make prayer a priority. And we, 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 it, at least making it a priority. What we're saying is, I know this is what I ought to do. I know that this is what I need to do. I know that. I'm just not quite sure how to get to it yet. Well, I understand that, but at least make it a priority. You know, if exercise is not a priority, you're probably not going to do it. Uh, um, if, if eating is not a priority, well, I don't know who that applies to. Everybody says eating is a priority. But, you know, whatever's a priority, it, it becomes a little bit more of a focus to us or we focus upon it. So make prayer a priority. We're told here about John. Verse 1, John taught his disciples to pray. Remember John? John, um, he was a prophet. He was a preacher. He was a martyr. But he was also a man of prayer. He was a miracle baby. Remember that? Filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. And yet we're told that John prayed. John had the incredible privilege of introducing Jesus as the Messiah to Israel. And yet he prayed. John had the incredible opportunity of baptizing Jesus, yet he prayed. Jesus said that John was the greatest of all the prophets in Luke 7 and verse 28, and yet John had to pray, had to depend upon prayer. If prayer was that vital to this man who had these kind of advantages, how much more important should prayer be to us who maybe does not have those advantages. John's disciples, they made a priority of prayer. And not just John's disciples, but Jesus' disciples wanted to learn better how to pray. They didn't ask how to teach, how to preach better. Maybe they did at other times, but here the emphasis was upon prayer. I've sometimes thought that I would be a better Christian if I had been with Jesus when he was here upon this earth. But the disciples were with him, and yet they still failed many times. They could perform miracles, and yet they wanted to learn to pray. John the Baptist and the disciples who uh, we find here, they made prayer a priority, at least make it a priority. I've always thought that it was amazing that these men who spent 24 hours a day with Jesus, they slept where he slept, ate where he ate, walked with Jesus. They heard him teach. They heard him preach. And, and, and they saw him heal the sick and raise the dead. Yet they came to him and said, there's something we would love for you to help us with. It's the matter of prayer. I think that little statement says a whole lot about 
the discipline, the desire that these men had when being around Jesus. But not just John the Baptist and his disciples and the Lord's disciples, but also the example of Jesus Christ himself. Here we see in verse 1 where Jesus is praying. It says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. Seven times in the Gospel of Luke you find Jesus praying. Jesus who's perfect, Jesus who is God, and yet you find him serious about prayer, making prayer a priority. In Luke chapter 3, he prayed at his baptism. In Luke 6, he prayed before he chose the 12. In fact, he spent the entire night in prayer. In Luke 5, he prayed when the crowd increased. In Luke 9, he prayed as he multiplied the loaves for the feeding. In Luke 9, he asked the 12 for their confession of faith, but before he did that, he prayed. In Luke 9, he also prayed on the Mount of Transfiguration. The disciples knew that often, as Mark chapter 1 tells us, often Jesus would be alone and he would pray. Let me ask you, if Jesus being God, being perfect, if he made prayer a priority, how much more should we? Leonard Ravenhill said, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here in prayer, you will fail everywhere mm. time invested in heart felt communion with God it's never wasted Daniel prayed how many times a day three times a day the psalmist praised God how many times a day seven times a day Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer Psalm 5 and verse 3 O Lord in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee Stop and think with me. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in human flesh. Yet the Bible tells us that he prayed. He knew everything there was to know, yet he prayed. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to pray, then how much more do we need to pray? If Jesus, John the Baptist, all the twelve needed to pray, how much more do we need to pray? To say that you can live the Christian life without prayer is like saying it's possible to live without breathing. You can't do it for very long. So maybe that's why our churches are dying. Because there's no life. You know, I mentioned last night about this matter of being serious. Elisha was serious. What we're saying about making this a priority is saying, we need to get serious. Yeah, we, we have a Christian school and, and we have teachers and I've got teachers in the, in the church and, and what have you, but I can only go so long as God is directing and God is leading. See, it's, it's, it's the pastor's responsibility to be able to, to, to get the vision, the direction from the Lord. And it's the pastor's responsibility to cast the vision. The Bible tells us that God used Gideon and 300 men. Because while there were thousands of others, they just were not quite as serious. And, and I'd find that there were people who wanted to draw a paycheck. They wanted a position. They wanted a title. They wanted to be recognized. But they didn't want to be able to put in the, the, that which God deemed to be important. Oh, they wanted to talk about their credentials. 
You don't know how long I've been saved. You don't know where I went to school. You don't know what I, I, I said under so-and-so. I said under Dr. So. I, I, know, I know more about church because uh, I've been in it longer than you've been alive. Okay. So why weren't you at the prayer meeting on Saturday night? And I feel like, I, I, I really do feel like I'm pretty patient. And so we go on for a long time and, and I begin to see people who hold the titles are not the ones giving the most spiritual influence. Oh, they may have more Bible verses memorized, but so does the devil. And I finally met with our teachers one day and in fact, I, I went through that passage there that we looked at last night. You remember when Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. God's telling me to go over there. What was Elijah saying? I've talked to God. God gave me vision. And I'm telling you, Elisha, here's what I'm doing. And I'm telling you, you stay put. Why? Because only the serious ones are going to see the miracles. Oh, well, you, you, can, you can see some miracles. Because what we didn't get to last night in the same chapter of 2 Kings chapter 2 the Bible tells us that there were some Bible college students, sons of the prophets, and they were watching afar off. In fact, they were even trying to get in there and tell Elisha, you know, God's going to take away your master today, and we, we know some things are going to happen. And Elisha said, yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Now, that's old King James. Today would be, yeah, I know it. Shut up. But I'm telling you this, Elisha's saying, I'm sticking with the man of God. And see, what Elijah was giving in chapter 2 was the vision statement. God is directing me to go from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and over to Jordan. And he maybe didn't have it all lined out, but he said, here's what I do know. I'm going to go here. He got from Gilgal to Bethel, and he said, now God's want me to go over to Jericho. Man, we, you just got here. What are we doing? We're going to do what God tells us to do. And so we go over here to Jericho, and then he says, now God, he's telling me, I need to go over Jordan. And, and Elisha could have said, we just went all this way and got here. What are we doing? We're doing exactly what God tells us to do. And I said to our teachers, I'm afraid too many of you, Bible college graduates, you think you know more than everybody else, but the point of the matter is, if Elijah were to say to you, stay here, you would say, all right, I'll do it. And I said, there is absolutely no way we're going to see God do the miraculous as long as you're looking for ways to get out. And don't, don't think, don't think that I'm, I'm twisting this because it's not. Jesus did the same thing. Jesus said it this way. No man can be my disciple unless you deny yourself. And most people never hear the rest of the statement because what you hear is God saying, it's not about you. And so here's what I did. I fired every one of our teachers. Three weeks before school let out, I fired them. We don't need you. You don't give a rip about God, we don't need you. Told our deacons, you're deacons, meaning serve. You're not Supreme Court justices, serve. Lead by example. I don't care if you're a charter member. I don't care if you're Noah's brother. Serve. You're replaceable, and so am I. I don't answer to you. I answer to God. God's trying to meet with us. And I learned this. You know, the ones that are going to be in the positions of deacon and teachers and, and what have you and, and uh, here at Canaan Baptist Church, the ones who are going to influence. Are some of you okay? All right. All right. Some of you got the flu or something. All right. The ones who are going to be the influencers are the ones who let me influence them. Because if Elisha ain't going to follow Elijah, there's no way God's going to say, I need you to step in and pick up the mantle. 
And by the way, I've, I've told our, our folks, and you, you have no business influencing anybody if you're not willing to be influenced, not by your favorite preacher on TV or your favorite preacher on the radio or your favorite preacher across town or your favorite preacher growing up, but from your pastor. By the way, since you brought that up, three things that everybody needs. I've said this so many times, they made a tract, um, put it into a tract form at, at, at church. Three things everybody needs. You need a personal relationship with Jesus. You need a personal relationship. You need a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's what we're talking about, prayer. You've got to make it a priority. Why? Because you need a personal relationship with Jesus. Number two, mentioned it last night, you need a church family. Someone says blood is thicker than water. I believe it. I say amen. The blood of Jesus is thicker than water. See, I know you probably don't think this way up here, but down south, down south people say, you know, our church has gotten so bad. It's just, man, it, it has changed. and It's so different. It's so bad. Why don't you leave? Well, you know, um, I, I don't know if you have cemeteries up here around churches, but in the south they, they have cemeteries. And they say, well, you know, Paul Paul's buried in the back. You have the, the church there. I could never leave. I say, dig Paul Paul up, take him with you. That's what he'd do. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, just, <laughs> I mean, that's what he would do. Um, you need a church family. You, 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 you need a church family where it's, in fact, that's what Jesus said. Remember, they said to Jesus, your mother um, is, is wanting to see you. And Jesus said, who is my mother? And he pointed over to Peter or whoever. <laughs> Uh, who's my brother and my sister? And he pointed to his disciples. And he made the statement. I mean, they're really looking at Jesus like something's wrong. The heat's gotten to him. But he was simply saying that those that do the will of my father, that's my family. You need a personal relationship with the Lord. You need a church family. Number three, you need a pastor. I would not have drawn it up that way. But God did. You need a pastor. If you're a member of Grace Baptist Church, he's not just your preacher, but Josiah Kagan is a pastor. You don't need somebody who would just marry you and bury you someday. I'm not your pastor this week. I'm just preaching. You need a pastor you say well he's young enough to be my grandson he's God's man you need a pastor and I say over and over to our church you're either going to be pastored or you will be pastored around And it's not good for you, Hebrews 13 says, if you have to be pastored around because of your, <clears throat> I ain't listening to him. I, I ain't going, I, 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 I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. You can't afford to do that, by the way. You need to learn to make prayer a priority. You need a pastor. You need someone to shepherd you. You know, Paul says that the pastor is a gift to you. And not the kind of gift that your grandma gives you. <laughs> not a pair of socks. You know, not a fruitcake. Who still gives fruitcakes away? Well, I know why you give them away, but because um, you don't want it. But no, no, God gives you good gifts. Gifts that will help us be able to experience that, that relationship with him and learn of this wonderful privilege of prayer. Make prayer a priority. So the first thing you've got to do if you're going to have a, a, a new start this year in prayer is you've got to pray. You've got to at least make it a priority. At least get to the prayer meetings. Whenever our prayer meeting, our Sunday morning, I remember a, a message. We had a preacher come in. He, he just talked about prayer. And I had talked about this matter of it'd be good if we started up a, maybe men getting together and praying on Sunday morning. And, and, and we talked about it. And the preacher came in and, and preached on prayer. And one of the men said, 
why don't we start it, Pastor? And we did. We started the very next Sunday. We haven't stopped. And I'll tell you, one of the great blessings it's been to see men get into the very uh, presence of God and, and see God meet with us. And here's what, what it's done. It has been a, a thrill. Because so often churches have treated their pastor like a rebellious teenager treats their parent. You know, I got to have them. But when I get out of here, I'm done with it. And then they use the pastor against each other. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to go tell the pastor on you. I'm telling you, when, the, when people start having a personal relationship with Jesus and they get connected to their church family and they uh, are being pastored instead of having the pastor pastor around them, then they start rising up. And to watch men, I can sit and watch the men in the congregation, they, they, they do church with each other. You know, a young man doesn't come into the men's prayer. He, he's, he's not been coming. And they just take it upon themselves. We're going to go to his house and see him. The men in the church were meeting Sunday morning at 8 o'clock. You're a man, aren't you? If you're confused about it, we can help you. Take you to a farm. Every farmer knows there's only two genders. And you're a man. You need to be here. I love it. I don't ever have to deal with it. Some of you pooch your lip out. I'm going to park a little bit longer on this, all right? Yeah. I mean, it's great. It's great to see men be men. And to be a man of God. Oh, you get so mad. I've seen men get mad, ticked off at the preacher. I ain't ever, I just, I just, I tell you, I, I just don't, I just don't like him. I don't like, but when was the last time you put your foot through your TV when you heard some Hollywood harlot take your God's name in vain? You don't tell me you have a conviction until you're principled and you're consistent across the board. And just because you don't like the way it was said or like what was said because it hit you doesn't mean that you need to put your lip out and get belly aching about that. I'm saying what you ought to do is get into the presence of God. And God get a hold of your life, it changes things. And I, I saw our choir, I saw our choir go from like 30 to we'll have 50, sometimes 55. But the greatest thing about, and we've got 65 people in the church, but it's great to see them up there. But the greatest thing about it is to watch 25 men, I'll count them sometimes, 25 men up there. Well, they've got... Six law enforcement officers up there. I mean, it's, it's great to see men. But not just men who walk around and just, you know, just, oh, but men who will get down in a moment's notice on their knees and pray and get a hold of God. Men who will stand up and give that challenge on Sunday morning, tears coming down their face, talking about this matter of being real before God, loving their wives and getting invested in the lives of other children. I'm telling you, it, it, you just, it makes church woo, a breath of fresh air because God shows up. You say, I wish we could have that. Oh, you can't. His name is Jesus. You just make it a priority. You say, how, how, how many hours do you have to do that? It's not an hour, it's a person. Just get to Jesus. Just, just get to him. You say, we don't know where to start. Tell him that. Just make it. If there's any place in Kettering that ought to be the house of prayer, it ought to be here. So here's what I used to think. Um, I used to think that I don't want to put too much restraints and constraints or whatever it is on the people and mention, here's another, we need to pray here, we need to pray. I just, I'm, I'm looking at their time, I just don't want to. But what else should we be known for? That's what we should be known for. And, and, and I'll tell you, here's the thing about prayer. Sunday mornings, it's been said that people come to church, it shows you, how popular your church is when people visit Sunday morning. When they come back Sunday night, it shows how popular the preaching is. But when people show up to a prayer meeting, it tells you how popular God is. 
we got to make it a priority. Number two, look at it in verse two and four. Now notice what Jesus said here. This is what we know to be, people call it the Lord's Prayer, but we know the Lord did not pray this um, because he didn't pray, forgive us our sins. He had no, for, uh, no sins to be forgiven. But this was a disciple's prayer. And we're more familiar perhaps with the one over in Matthew in chapter number six. But here he talks about this. He gives a pattern. So number two, understand the pattern of prayer. Make it a priority, then just understand the pattern. Um, use the word pray, P-R-A-Y. P, praise God. Our Father, he says, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So just take a few moments and praise God. And follow the, the pattern that the Lord's giving us. P, praise God. R, get right with God. Agree with God. God spoke to your heart. Agree with Him. Take God's side. Um, A. Ask God. Give us this day our daily bread. So ask God for your daily needs and the daily needs of others. So praise God. Get right with God. And I don't think I mentioned the, the verse there, but forgive us our sins, verse 4. And then, A, ask for yourself and others, and why? P-R-A-Y. Why? Yield yourself to God. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. As in heaven, so in earth. See, recognize, humbly recognize our submission to Him after you've made your request known and become willing to accept whatever answer he gives. You say, well, pastor, if I do all of that, does that mean that God will always answer my prayer? Always. Always. You mean I will always get what I asked for? No, that's not what I said. I said that God will always answer your prayer. You see, the key to this whole thing is found in that verse, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Listen, prayer is not to get our will done in heaven. Prayer is to get God's will done on earth. Prayer isn't to get God to do what we want. Prayer is to make us into who God wants us to be. Prayer can do anything that God can do. And then verses 5 through 9. He gives us an illustration here, and he's telling us this. So number one, make prayer a priority. Number two, understand the pattern of prayer. But then number three, stay persistent in prayer. And this is maybe where, where I, I lost it. I mean, I, this is where I got tripped up. I get encouraged. I get challenged. And then I'm I, just so prone to, part of, part of it's our fabric, our DNA of our society. We're, we're looking for it to feel right and I would fail to be persistent we like the novelty our phones have conditioned that you get a brand new phone and a new one gets introduced and you want that new one um, your, your news they, they know this they, they this is why you don't people are satisfied just looking at the headlines the titles you constantly look at the post. It's just constantly refreshing, and it's created this in our mind. We're looking for the new, and what it does is it hurts us. It hinders us from being persistent. Remember what 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. If you're going to abound with God, it requires being steadfast. That means you're going to have to do a lot of things, the same things, over and over and over again. Steadfast, unmovable, meaning you're going to have to stay in the same place for a long time. If you're going to abound, our culture does not help us with that. Our culture undermines that. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, in answer to their request, teach us to pray. He teaches them how to be persistent in prayer. Look at verse 5. 
And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Look at it, verse 10. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and to him that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be open. See, Jesus is going, he, he's moving from theological to practical. And he moves from application to illustration. He puts it right down there where anybody can understand it. What is he saying? He's saying you've got to be persistent. Even if you just took P-R-A-Y and just persistently do this, you don't learn prayer in a classroom, though you may have a class on prayer. You don't learn praying from a book, though it may involve a book. You learn praying by praying. What's he saying? You've got to be persistent. Jesus did not say, and he's not comparing God to this grouchy neighbor. No, he's saying the opposite. See, prayer is based on sonship, our Father, not on friendship. But Jesus used friendship to illustrate persistence in prayer. God the Father is not like this neighbor. He never sleeps. He never gets impatient or irritable. He's always generous, and he yearns to meet the needs your needs. The friend at the door had to keep on knocking to get what he needed, but God is quick to respond to his children's needs. So the argument is this, and I believe it's clear. If persistence ultimately paid off for this man, how much more would persistence bring blessing as we prayed big, bold prayers to our loving Heavenly Father? The word importunity means shamelessness. Again, pray big prayers. Big prayers. Why does our Father in heaven answer prayer? Not just to meet the needs of his children, but to bring glory to his name. Hallowed be thy name. Jesus said that that's the way we ought to be praying. Pray big prayers. Pray that brings big advertisement to God. When God's people pray, God's reputation is at stake. Philip Brooks said that prayer, listen, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his highest willingness. You know who the reluctant one is in prayer? It's me. God's not reluctant. Here's the last one. Verses 9 through 13 we read through verse number 10, but we'll, verses uh, 9 through 13. Embrace the promise. Just embrace the promise. There's a promise to prayer. Embrace this. Jesus said in Matthew 21, 22, In all things whatsoever he shall ask in prayer, believing he shall receive. And we read verse 10 and verse number um, uh, verse number 10. Let's look at verse 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father... Will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask, uh, shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? J. Vernon McGee said, When a farmer prays for a good crop, God expects him to say, Amen with a hoe. In other words, you, you and I, we're not being passive. We've got work to do. We've got a life to live. We've got a race to run. But we ought to have great expectation that God is on the move. God is at work. So the rest of his illustration here, the tenses of those verbs, and we're going to talk about this probably tomorrow night, but he says, and they're very important, he says, keep on asking, and keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And so Jesus is teaching, don't come to God only in the midnight emergencies. 
but keep in constant communion with the Father. John 15, he calls this abiding. And that's what he says in verse number 9, when he says, ask, seek, knock. In verse 10, asketh, uh, seeketh, and knock. It's, it's the continuation of this. Don't stop. One very crucial word in this verse. And this is what I want to draw your attention to regarding a promise. Notice verse 10. The first word is for. What's the next two words? You see that? Let's do it again. Verse 10. I'll say the first word. You say the next two. For everyone. Everyone. Does that mean you? Everyone. Everyone. God's ears are not selective. He doesn't listen to the special people or the prominent people or the powerful people. No, because he has all of that. He hears everyone. Obviously, however, Jesus is talking about his children who know him. Prayer is certain. Jesus is not simply given an invitation to pray, but he says, everyone who is asking receives, everyone who is seeking finds, everyone who is knocking, it'll be open. There are no loopholes. It's a promise. Just as Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This too is a promise. There's no loopholes. There's no fine print. This is exactly what God says. This is what God means. So tonight, God has a treasure chest just for you in the Christian life. It has your name on it. It's filled with good things. God is just waiting for you to ask Him to give you those things. What is it that you need more than anything else? You name it. Someone says, well, I don't want to get into this name it, claim it. Well, don't. Get to God. Don't let the, the, uh, the crazy theologies of this world rob you of Bible theology that will change your life. Get to God. Let me ask you, have you asked God for whatever it is that is a burden to you, a need in your life? What is it? Have you gone to God? Have you come to Him? Have you continually stayed at His feet? God says He's going to answer your prayers. For 16 years, I told you, we prayed that God would give us a child. And we prayed and all I knew to do, all I knew to do, all that Christy knew to do was keep praying until one of two things. God tells us no. Or until God says yes and gives us a child and he said yes. Keep on praying. If the Bible is true and he longs to give you good things, then why don't you ask? I love what Norman Grubb says. He would make this statement. Good morning, God. I love you. What are you up to today? I want to be a part of it. Good morning, God. I love you. What are you up to today? I want to be a part of it. I close with this. I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't have time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you just didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on, gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, but you didn't see. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided. My child, you didn't knock. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. Would you stand with me, please? Heads bowed tonight, eyes closed, standing together. It is my heart's desire, and I hope I got it across. I don't want anybody to feel guilt.
I just want us to see that God is giving us a treasure chest of a relationship with Him. And it's just as simple as you talking with your child or grandchild, entering into a relationship. At least, at least let's start out just making it a priority. Talk about it. Read about it. Then try it. Talk to Him. Lord, I do thank You for what You're doing at Grace Baptist Church and the privilege it is to take part in this wonderful meeting. Lord, these are great people, great church, with a great pastor. And Lord, even more so, we have a great God. And Lord, we're asking tonight, just as your disciples asked you, teach us to pray. You didn't get mad at them. You are very gentle and kind, as you always are. And you're not mad with us tonight. I ask that you would expose the lies and the tactics.